morning. Thanks for being in church this morning. If you don't know who I am, I'm our kids pastor down the hallway. That's probably why you don't see too much of me in here, but I, I get to break out every once in a while. I get to be here with you, and um, I'm just excited to share God's word with you today. I'm going to give us a few announcements to get us started first. Um, just a couple of things. Actually, the, the honest, uh, the, the blessing we have is our pastoral team is headed to a conference together, but what that means is we won't be having midweek events this week, so we won't have our Wednesday night activities like we normally do. Um, you can be praying for us because I'm a little sad that the only nice day next week is going to be our drive back from Coeur d'Alene. We're talking a long drive in the sunshine when I'd rather be kicking my feet up and enjoying or playing games with your kids uh, at our Wednesday night ministries. I was like, one nice day and we're not even going to be here. So it uh, makes me a little sad. Uh, other than that, though, we have a few things. I'm going to tell you our website is a great resource for you because everything I'm telling you about, you can go to our, our homepage. You can find it on our website. You can sign up for just about anything you want to be a part of here. Uh, first of all, there is a love and respect marriage conference. And I say marriage conference lightly because honestly, if you are just wanting to know the difference between men and women, come to the conference because it really is a great conference. It really is talking about how women uh, often have that desire to feel loved while men may be more on the respect side. So it really is a great way for you to come and just learn more. So you're welcome to come even if you're not married, but you do sign up online because if you have kids, there's childcare. We want to know uh, that we have enough people to cover for childcare as well. It's May 13th and 14th. So it's coming up pretty soon. Uh, go on our website, sign up for that. Uh, we do also have baptisms coming up. We want to make sure you know about that. If you have put your faith in Jesus and have not taken that step in your faith, we'll be baptizing people during all three services on June uh, 5th. So make sure that's also online. All the details are there. You can sign up. We'll give you a call and make sure you know uh, what to prepare for exactly. So there's that. And the other thing I would say is it's not on our announcements, and I might get fired for this, but I'm teasing. Uh, kids camps and youth camps are coming up. And I know that this is the time to sign up. So if you have a kid anywhere between uh, going into third grade all the way through high school, there are two different camps. Go on our website and learn about them. And if you happen to want to come as, an, as a leader, I will tell you, we'll take you. Uh, well, you know, you have to want to be blobbed by me. Have you seen a blob? It's like this big pillow. You sit on one end and somebody... And you go fly. It's my favorite thing. I'll tell you, we haven't been able to be at kids camp for the last two years, like at camp for two years. So I really am excited. And I think a lot of our kids are excited too. Uh, so if you're an adult type who would like to lead kids, sign up online. I'm telling you, you can do everything online. As a matter of fact, uh, the other part I want to be able to, to kind of press on today is being a part of your church in some way, joining a team in some way, or joining a small group in some way. It's great to gather together on Sunday morning, but you really get to know people when you serve together or when you come together in a small group and there's a little QR code on the back of your seats. You can just scan that. It'll tell you all the ways you could be involved. There's so many things. And I tell you, we have spring tea for the ladies and there were over a hundred ladies in this room yesterday. It was beautiful. People decorated tables. But I'll tell you, we did have a cooking team that also prepared a lot of the food and that's a lot of work. So um, I always press that. Be a, part of the <laughs> be a part of the cooking team, be a part of the kids team, be a part of the security team. You know, there's so many teams that you could be a part of. And I'll tell you, probably my favorite thing is just hearing all the fun and chatter back in the kitchen while they're preparing food and just having fun together. So truly, I hope you're getting the idea that joining a team is really actually very fun to be a part of ministry together in your church. So um, we just want to invite you uh, to, to be a part of church family life uh, 
in a number of different ways. So with that, uh, I would encourage or I invite you to open your Bibles up. We're actually, you know, I am the kids pastor, right? So I thought, okay, let's do a kid's story. I promise I'll make sure it's adultish. Is that okay? We're going to look at the story of Zacchaeus today. It's in Luke 19. It's going to take me a little bit of time to get there, though, because I really want to set the stage. But I'll tell you, that's where we're going to land for most of our, um, our gospel message today. But to get us started, I want you to think about something that gets you really excited. Uh, for example, one thing for me is I love surprising somebody, like a friend, something that I know that they would really love. It's so much fun to plan and prepare something and surprise them with something that they weren't really expecting, but I know they're going to love. Um, buying gifts for other people is always really fun. I don't know. There's things like that. Oh, I know making good food. Some of you love to make good food. I personally would prefer to eat the good food. I'm not really, a, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't like cleaning the dishes is what it really comes down to. So I'd rather not prepare the food. So if you want to, if you love good food, bring it to me. Um, I also, <laughs> I love um, uh, planning and anticipating for a fun vacation, which we just had a vacation recently. It was a lot of fun. But what I hate about it is when you come home and you feel like you need a vacation from your vacation. But the planning and anticipation of vacation, you get the idea, things that you might be really excited about. Uh, I know that my family, my husband especially, loves watching football on TV. How many of you guys are TV watchers of sports? Huh? A few. How many of you would prefer to be there in person? Okay, I would prefer to be there in person. I don't really like to watch it on TV, but I have this vivid memory as a kid of my mom was a huge Seahawks fan. And she clarified for me after first service, well, it was the year that they were the underdogs. She called it their Cinderella story. And I'm like, what is that? I don't know. It means uh, it was their, they were kind of the underdogs. They barely made it into Super Bowl or something. I don't know. And uh, so, but I have this vivid memory of a kid, as a kid, of my mom watching the football game and literally screaming and yelling at the coaches, at the referees, at the players when they made a mistake. And she would, no joke, she'd take a pillow and throw it at the TV when she was mad at them. And then me, I was a cute little kid, ran up and I'd gather the pills and bring them back so she could have more ammunition, right? Ah, <laughs> I don't know. But my mother loved to watch sports on TV. Me, I don't know if you know this about me, but my first degree was actually in sport medicine. And I worked with athletes who were injured, and I loved doing it because I got to be there. And not only did I get to be there, but I got to know the players. So for me, I need to be invested in you as a person, and I will come and watch you play, and I will cheer you on from the sidelines. Although I do have to say, I'm kind of glad my mom, I didn't play a sport where my mom was on the sidelines, right? Like if she was that intense, that could have been embarrassing. Anyway, just kidding. I love you, mom. Uh, but it's true. There are different things that really drive a lot of passion out of us. And really where we're going with this today is, is there something that drives passion out of you when you see something that doesn't really measure up? What drives passion out of you? For me, um, I can get pretty fierce in defending my kids when they fight with each other, specifically. I know, I know you don't believe this. Kids, pastors, they still fight. And, um, and they do it really well because the truth is they know the Bible they know what mom and dad expect, but somewhere in their mind, there's this little voice that wins out inside that they really believe that their sibling deserves their retaliation. They really believe that their sibling does not deserve to be treated with kindness and love and everything that we teach our kids, right? There's this little voice every once in a while, well, more often than I'd like to admit, that wins out inside of their mind, telling them it would be okay 
to be Henri and mean. And so in our family, this is how we handle this. Are you ready? <laughs> we really live by the verse that says, for the wages of sin is death. You guys know this. And the gift of God is eternal life. Okay, so we live by this verse in my home. So when my kids fight with each other, that's sin. So I'll be like, okay, what do you deserve? It's a real awakening moment right there, right? I mean, okay. But then I'm like, okay, okay, okay. But what do you deserve? I mean, what do you actually receive? And of course, my kids are like, oh, well, eternal life. And I'm like, well, don't just say it like that because the reason you have eternal life is because of God's great love for you. And so God's called you into something so much different. He's called you to love your sibling, even though you don't think they deserve it. So my kids are in this place where I think they're just trying to get me to stop the mom lecture. I'm not sure which it is, but I really hope they're learning that, yes, it's true, while the wages of sin is death, and while you might not think your sibling deserves your kindness, God's given you something so much greater, and that's how he wants you to respond. I'm just, you know, I just had to get that out. That's what I'm passionate about. Okay, what are you passionate about? Maybe you really love just helping other people. Maybe you're the kind of person that just has a real deep compassion for those that are struggling in their life. Uh, maybe you're the kind of person who really looks for opportunities where you might be able to give or serve or teach or pray over people. The truth is God puts inside of us a passion for different things because he knows that we all serve in different ways, right? And that passion that wells up inside of you is the Holy Spirit giving you opportunity to serve and love other people for him. And today, specifically, we're going to talk about one of the examples of Jesus because he was a fierce defender of lost people. That's where we're going to rest today. That's why we're going to look at the story of Zacchaeus. He would have been a lost person. Jesus was passionate. It says in Luke 19, verse 10, it says he was passionate about, uh, it says what, that he would seek and save the lost. That's 19.10 says Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And yet, can I say this? At the same time, Jesus was also a relentless defender of the truth. So here's what we're going to look at today. How was he able to defend the truth without rejecting the people who weren't walking in it? How was he able to stand up for and defend the truth without pushing people away from him? Right? That's what we're going to talk about today um, a little bit more. But to, to get us really into it, if you ever hear the term mean Christian, you have a basic idea of what I'm talking about? Maybe you've never heard it before. First of all, clear the road. Of course, Jesus was never a mean Christian ever in all of, he, he's, he's beautiful and perfect and never did. But I sometimes can accidentally or maybe not become in a place where I might look like a mean Christian. Now is not the time to look at your neighbor. Yeah? Okay, just kidding. <laughs> but has there ever been a time in your life when you have maybe felt incredibly judged or looked down upon in the name of Jesus. Maybe you felt rejected or pushed away or unloved or uninvited or cut off. These are all big words because the truth is if you've ever felt rejected or unloved or dismissed by someone who's a believing person, can I, can I just pause for a minute and say that's not who Jesus is. It's not who Jesus is. I mean, consider this for a minute. Has anybody ever looked down on you because of the example of your children? Or, or maybe even a coworker that assumes something about you because you were overseeing a group of people that didn't get it right? 
or uh, a comment that was left on social media given without proper context or true knowledge of the whole situation. You get the idea. We've been burned before. But the truth is, in the same way, sometimes there are people who think less of Jesus because of the negative example of his children. Yeah? That's what we're going to talk a little bit more about today because the truth is if you've ever been hurt by someone that you've felt judged by the mistakes that you've made in an unloving or unkind way, can I just beg you to know that is not the example of Jesus. The truth is we don't always get it right. As believers, we don't always get it right. I love it because it's even in the Bible. Paul said, this is Romans 7:24. He says, what a wretched sinner I am. So this is Paul in the Bible saying that. So it makes me feel like, okay, he gets it. It's in the Bible. It is true. What do I deserve? <sighs> but I also receive eternal life in Christ. And that's why Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 11, he said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I think what he means there is though, please discern what looks like Jesus in me and follow that example. Because even Paul didn't get it right all the time. That's why he said, what a wretched sinner I am. Think about it. There's actually a number of examples in the Bible. Look at Moses. He was a murderer. He lost his temper. He disobeyed God. Okay. David took another man's wife. Peter lied about and denied Jesus. Abraham lied about his wife. Jacob was a deceiver. Noah was a drunk. Jonah disobeyed God. And this is all in the Bible, right? But these are faith-filled people who just didn't always get it right. And God wanted us to know that too. That's why it's in his word, right? But think about this. It's also in his word in Hebrews 11, where people are celebrated for their faith. Some of these same people that I just listed were celebrated by their faith because of the victories they had in Jesus. Can I tell you why? It's because their heart was devoted to following God. It's because their heart said, I don't want to sin. I don't want to live that way. I don't want to be a poor example of Christ. I want to follow him with my whole life. Because they have had a heart that said, I want to be like Jesus, they have a heart of repentance and they received forgiveness and were able to continue living out their faith, which is why in Hebrews 11 it says that by faith, Noah built an ark. He obeyed God. His family was saved. Abraham obeyed God. By faith, it says, Abraham, who obeyed God, became the father of many nations. He's a part of God's promise. By faith, Moses refused the comforts and pleasures of Egypt to, in order to be able to lead God's people into the promised land and out of slavery. Think about Peter built the church. Paul was a missionary spreading the gospel to thousands and thousands and thousands of people. So the question we have to really consider is what's your focus, right? Think about that for a minute because if you want to, you can find poor examples, right? You can find people living contrary to what God's word says. But if your focus is in a different place, you can also see beautiful examples of Jesus in people. Amen? And sometimes in the same person, good and bad, because we are people who just simply don't always get it right. But if your focus is looking for Jesus in people, you will see beautiful examples of Jesus working redemptively in people's life, of people 
in their testimonies to what Jesus is doing in their life. It's all around us, but also all around us. We're going to see examples of people who aren't following Christ, especially in a moment of of weakness. I think about this, actually. My mom, I was over at her house at one time, and she had some friends that came over, and one of the people that were sitting among us just started kind of laughing about the fact that he'd been at church that morning. And the reason he was laughing is he's like, you wouldn't believe it. I got up and I went to church this morning. He said, I got there and the same people who I, were dr- I was drunk with last night were sitting next to me in church. And he was laughing about it um, as if it was an excuse really to laugh about hypocrisy in Christianity. And I wanted so badly, I wasn't mature enough at that point to say anything, but I wish I was. I wish I could have leaned over and said, but you, but you were there. What do you think they were thinking? The same thing. But the the truth is, we just don't always get it right. And the point is, the best place to be is in God's house and in a place where we know that we'll be received and that there's a Father God who says, I have something better for you. And I want you to have a heart that's turned toward me, seeking repentance so that you will receive forgiveness from, from a Father God who loves you so incredibly. There's two things that I feel like I gained from these, this story. One, to my believing friends, your witness really does matter. It really does. But two, anyone who judges Christianity by the mistake of others, your focus is in the wrong place. The very fact that we have breath in our lungs is evidence of a loving creator God that wants relationship with you. Man, we're surrounded, aren't we? by examples if we look for them of how God is working and moving and redeeming people all around us. Yeah? The truth is, I'm not going to be perfect. We're not going to be perfect. But what we can do is we can have humble hearts turned toward God, seeking his help to mature and grow us through those times that we have failed. Amen? That's what gave the Apostle Paul the confidence that he had in saying, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Because he trusted that God would help him to be that example that would be more powerful than any one of his mistakes. So he was able to say, follow my example. Look past my flaws and see the example in me that actually represents Jesus. I think the best way that we can really make sure that that's us as well is that we would be praying to God every single day, asking him a few things. Like, are we willing to ask God to point out areas of our lives that we're holding back obedience to God? Are we willing to ask in prayer that God would show us where we get it wrong sometimes when we've had a poor attitude or a wrong tone of voice or a harsh judgment on someone or even a prideful heart? Are we willing to ask him to help us see those things in us that don't reflect him and then ask him to help us choose right? Because I guarantee that if we are humbly seeking Jesus, Oh, he'll start moving in our lives, helping us choose in those moments when maybe we're tempted to do something that we know is not honoring to God. If I can give one small word of caution, though, the truth is there are some believers in our world, right, that don't even realize when they're getting it wrong. And and I, I say that very cautiously 
because there are some who believe in Jesus and they have a heart for Jesus, but they're, and they believe truly that they're standing up for gospel truth, but are doing it in a very hurtful, judgmental, unloving way, which is pushing unbelievers away because of judgment. And that's where we're going to be looking at the story of Zacchaeus today. Before we get there, one last verse, John three seventeen. This is kind of a key verse for us, right? It says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That means that God wants to send us out in the same way, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through our example of him. Think about it in the Bible. It's, the Bible's filled with ways that Jesus actually ministered to sinners. He didn't push them away. He ministered to tax collectors, prostitutes, uh, all kinds of sinners. Look at, I can, I can just give you a couple examples. In Mark 2 and in John 4, he ministers to a Samaritan woman who had been struggling and suffering in her sin. He didn't condemn her, but he showed her a better way. He showed her his love. He showed her that he knew her without condemnation. And in that way, he helped her see a better way. Right? Look at, uh, if you look in Luke 7, Jesus forgives an immoral woman. Luke 5, he heals and forgives a leper. And Luke 19, that we're going to look at here in a minute, he enters Zacchaeus' house and dines with him again and again and again. Jesus is touching the untouchable. He's loving the unlovable. He didn't reject them. Because here's the key. He knew that rejection would only push them away. So in the same way, God says that to us. Don't condemn the world. Don't push the world away. But choose to walk with them so that we can save the world as an example for Jesus. Are you ready to look at that with me in Luke chapter 19? Let's look at the story of Zacchaeus together. We're going to start right in verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho when he was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see Jesus, but because he was short, which I love that part, right? <laughs> I'm short. He could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. So first of all, Zacchaeus, tax collector, right? He's actually hated by his own people because his job was to go and collect the taxes from his very people, his own people, his, uh, almost like his family. He was to collect taxes for the Roman government, but as a tax collector, they would charge and, and they would um, take more than was required and keep the rest for themselves. So uh, if you look at it, though, I, I didn't realize this previously, you know, and as I'd read that, these are his own people that he's collecting money from. He could have been sympathetic to their situation and only, you know, collected what was required, but he chose a very poor business practice, didn't he? in order to, for personal gain. He knew it was hurting other people, but he was allowing greed to rule over him instead of Jesus. But the fact is he wanted to see Jesus. And what that teaches me is that he was seeking. I think about many people who express that they've been rejected or unloved by um, believers. I think they're in the same place. They've been seeking and instead, they've been dismissed or rejected in a similar way to Zacchaeus. Think about Zacchaeus. He didn't really have a reason to choose a different path because he'd been despised, hated, rejected, looked down upon by the same people who were putting their faith in Jesus. 
So I just, uh, the, the question that leaves me with is, do we know anyone who could be seeking for Jesus but experiencing rejection, not necessarily feeling like they have a reason to change. Maybe you know someone who's in a life where they're really struggling with drunkenness or pornography, or, or maybe they're, you know someone who's been choosing really poor business practices or is immoral or prideful. The list is long, right? Uh, if you know those people, they might be seeking, but not necessarily having a reason to step out of that place because maybe they haven't received an experience a reason to choose differently. Look with me at verse five. This is what Jesus did. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. So notice, first of all, Jesus didn't tell Zacchaeus what he needed to do to change. He didn't tell Zacchaeus how he should change or what he was doing wrong he didn't say what was wrong with Zacchaeus. He didn't do anything. He didn't condemn Zacchaeus. What he did was he invited Zacchaeus. He invited Zacchaeus into a relationship, into a friendship, into something different than he had experienced so far. I teach our kids back in kids' church this all the time. I say that really our greatest witness is our life example. Not always the words that we say. Because sometimes it's not helpful to argue with someone about God, is it? Like, when we're back in kitchen, I'm like, does it ever work out well to argue? Even in any situation, it just really doesn't work out well to argue. But what you can do is simply leave the door open for conversation. If somebody is rejecting Jesus, if we simply just state the truth, I believe in Jesus. You've left the door open. You don't have to say anything else. The door is open. Or if you know somebody who has felt rejected a time or two, to be able to say to that person, I know that Jesus would never reject you. All you've done is left the door open. You don't have to say a single thing more because they know and they can come back to you maybe when they're more ready to have a real conversation. Or I tell the kids this too, to be able to say to someone, you know, if you ever want to talk about Jesus, I'm here. And to be able to say to someone, I just want to be your friend. That simple statement is just leaving the door open for a good conversation. And it shows someone that you can be a friend with them, even if they don't know Jesus yet. Yeah? I actually, our, I think about in this situation, I think about our youth and our young adults. Because right now, I feel like there's so much in our youth and our young adults where they're questioning who they really are, and they are actually believing that there is a greater freedom in choosing something different than what God created them to be. And for them, I believe they are seeking, but they're not sure where to seek. And for me, if I know this about a student, I've simply left the door open by just saying to them, I don't believe that God makes mistakes. And I am always available because I would love to talk with you more about what Jesus has to say about you. By just leaving that simple comment out there, leaving that simple statement in front of them, it opens the door for a conversation. I'll tell you, I've had a number of conversations with some young adults and young people who are seeking, but they're not sure where to seek. Their minds are so tender. And I don't ever want to be that person that they feel rejected by. 
I want to leave them a door to walk through when they're ready to really seek Jesus. Because Jesus has a lot to say about them. Jesus has a lot of love to give them. Jesus has a lot of, for them to understand about his care, about his creation, about his purpose, about everything that he is for them. There's so much and the Bible is so full. But if I shut the door by rejecting them, I'll never get that opportunity to show them what Jesus really has to say. Amen? That's exactly what Jesus was doing in this passage. He was inviting Zacchaeus to be with him, knowing that Zacchaeus was seeking and yet had been rejected by others. Look at what happens next, though, in verse 7. Verse 7 says, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be with the guest of a sinner. Okay, pause for a minute and don't miss this. Jesus was being judged harshly too, right? And that's got to hurt but it didn't make him waver from the truth in the least. I wonder sometimes if we're so worried that people will think poorly of us because of our faith, that we forget the power of our faith. I wonder if we're, if we're too worried about our own reputation or what someone else will think about us that we actually in the end end up misrepresenting Jesus because we've forgotten some of the simple truths of the power of the Holy Spirit in us. I tell our kids this all the time. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you and wants to be your helper in those situations that you come across. Friends, the truth is, Jesus never worried about what other people thought about him. He knew that truth was more powerful he knew that if we could remain steady, consistently loving and caring for the people around us, that reputation will shine through. People were muttering about Jesus all the time, but he didn't waver from the truth. He stood firm in the truth because he knew that the truth would be more powerful in the end. And the truth is, the more consistent we are in loving and caring for people like Jesus did, then our witness will stand firm. I think something else to recognize, too, is that some, I've heard this comment, so I'm only just sharing what I've heard, but I've heard this comment before come from someone saying, but if I don't hold a firm hand against sin, then people will think that I'm accepting their sin. Yes, it's true that we do need to hold a firm hand against sin, where? In our own lives, yes? That's important because you are a witness for Christ. Your life is a witness for Christ. But if you demonstrate a harsh judgment against another person, you're shutting the door of witnessing to them because there really is, truly, don't miss, there's a big difference between judging sin and judging people. I mean, look at this example. If you read at verse 8, look how Zacchaeus responds to Jesus. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come into this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. And here's our key right here, right? For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. See, you see the example though? You understand what happened? Zacchaeus didn't look at Jesus' kindness and think he was approving of his life. Zacchaeus already knew that he was 
cheating people out of money. He, he knew the places that he wasn't really getting it right. He knew he was not unaware of what he was doing wrong. I mean, that's why he was like, look, I give half my, he knew what he'd been doing, right? But he didn't look at Jesus's kindness and think it was an invitation to continue in his practice. He looked at Jesus's kindness and realized what he'd been doing was not the best path for him. That's why he said, I'll give all my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. He, he had a heart, a change in his heart because of Jesus' love for him and Jesus' invitation to him. Because, friends, don't miss, there was no amount of argument or rejection or harsh judgment or uh, put down or negative glances or gossip or hatred. None of that was going to change Zacchaeus' life. None of that will change the people around you because what they need is acceptance, not approval, but acceptance, an invitation into something different. Because every day, I believe that we have opportunities all around us to be the agent of change in someone's life, simply by loving people, inviting them into something better, leaving the door open for good conversation, not shutting the door or pushing people away. Think about it this way. You don't expect a two-year-old, right, to act like an adult, yeah? Uh, okay, I know this. I would never expect a surgeon to be able to fly a plane. Yeah? You with me? I promise I cannot fix your plumbing problem. Got it? Okay. <laughs> but the truth is, those who don't know Jesus really can't be judged harshly when they're walking in a path that doesn't honor God. They actually need your grace standing in the truth. That's what Jesus was doing when he invited Zacchaeus into something different, into relationship, into a convert. He invited a conversation with him, yeah? Uh, I'm gonna look at one more verse with us today because I believe that God can, sh uh, this verse, it comes from Colossians in chapter four. We're gonna read verses two and six because I believe these two verses right here might be a good path forward for us. In Colossians 4, two, it says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. That's verse two. It teaches me that if I devote myself to prayer, if I would be watchful in how I respond to the people around me and be thankful that if I respond as Jesus did, he's gonna be able to work in the situation far better than maybe my first intention might've been or my first thought might've been. If I had a thought to be uh, negative or, or judgmental or harsh with somebody, if instead I choose to invite someone like Jesus did, then I can be thankful in knowing that the Holy Spirit is more powerful and can really be that agent of change in someone's life. And then if you look at verse six, it says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Okay, can I share one little story? The truth is, um, I don't think we'll ever lose uh, when we are devoted to prayer. And recently, I was in a situation, it felt impossible to me. It just felt like nothing that I was doing was helping. I felt incredibly defeated. I felt sad and discouraged. I know it's impossible to be because I'm always happy and smiley. But the truth is, there are moments in our lives where we just feel discouraged, almost hopeless in a situation. 
And in the moment that I was uh, in my room just feeling discouraged, I felt this whisper in my room, and, and the Lord just said, devote this to prayer. And the truth is, can I be honest? I had been praying about it. I had been seeking the Lord in it. I had spent moments of my time asking God for his help in the situation, but I hadn't devoted it to prayer yet. And when I felt the Holy Spirit say that in my, in my heart, I knew what he meant was not just in a passing prayer, get on your knees Put your head to the floor. Cry out to my God and my Savior who I know has a plan that is greater than I could possibly understand. Be willing to devote this to prayer in a way that I'm willing to just put it all before him and ask for his provision over it because I don't know what to do next. That kind of devotion to prayer is what he was talking about in my life. I'll tell you something. I'm still in this struggle. But I can tell you the other side of it is I feel so much greater confidence because of that time that we've spent together, that peace that God has put over me. I know and I trust that God is working in the situation. I am trusting that he's going to do something more powerful than I could ever ask or imagine. When I devote myself to prayer, it's like I can have a conversation with God that he can intercede in that devotion of prayer in the situation far more than my understanding. You know, my understanding is only this much. He knows the whole story. Like he knows how the story will play out. And so my trust in my devotion to prayer is saying, God, you can work. You can move mountains. And I'm gonna trust that with you. I know, just like the verse says, devoted to prayer, being watchful and thankful, I know that he's working, and I am thankful that he's working. I'm thankful that he hears my prayers. I'm thankful that he's filling me with peace and rest, and I'm thankful that he knows the whole story and that I can trust in his faithfulness. And what I do know and what I can say to all of us is that we won't stay stuck when we turn our heart toward prayer and thankfulness in anything and when my heart is devoted to prayer, when your heart is devoted to prayer and thankfulness and being watchful, then we can walk in that verse, verse 6, Colossians 2, 6, where it says, let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt. You know, seasoning, right? It enhances the flavor. So when I read seasoned with salt, I'm thinking, enhance every conversation that you have with people with grace, right? Full of grace, Season with, enhance every conversation with grace. Can I give us one more story today before we close? Recently, I heard someone share a story with me, and um, they, they shared that they would lie awake in bed when they were younger, before they met Jesus. They'd lie awake in bed at night, just afraid of the day that they would cease to exist. They would pace back and forth, like lie awake, pace back and forth, just afraid. Because the truth is, if you don't have an eternal hope in Jesus, this is it. Like there will be a day that you cease to exist. And without an eternal hope in Christ, that really is it. There's, there's this life and that's it. So I understand when, when he was sharing that story, the Holy Spirit just spoke into my heart. Think about those people who are lost. Like it broke my heart for people who don't know him because they're seeking. 
and they're searching. And if we're turning a door away and, and pushing them away from Jesus, they're not gonna find him. They'll look for other things and none of it, none of it will come together because all of it will eventually cease to exist. Money, wealth, popularity, all of it will cease to exist. The stuff, possessions, everything will cease to exist. Even your career, whether you like it or not, right? Someday will cease to exist. The truth is, <laughs> this, little, this little child, now an adult who loves and follows Jesus, was so afraid of the end of his life because there wasn't meaning or purpose because he didn't have an eternal hope. Okay, if I can be a little bit silly, I think about things that cease to exist, right? My grandparents, they speak about it. I'm starting to understand it more that gas prices have gone up because they used to talk about when gas was 25 cents. And when I was a youth, I thought, well, the gas prices weren't that bad. Oh, I understand it now. Because when I was younger, gas prices weren't that bad and now they're bad. So um, my grandparents, 25 cents gas prices don't exist anymore. You know, those little old wooden people the little people, they used to be wooden and they used to be this big and they became choking hazards. So now we don't have little people. We have kind of big people, but we still call them little people. Okay, well, those little people, those wooden, they don't exist anymore. Lawn darts, like the real lawn darts, they don't exist anymore. Pretty much anything that's fun and dangerous that can cause a lawsuit, it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. I'm being silly, but the truth is at the end of that, I think about my grandparents and the truth is the, the, the church that my grandmother went to growing up, it doesn't exist anymore. And it made me think about this. If you think about it, temples from long ago, we go to visit ruins. Why? Because those temples don't really exist anymore. Like the truth is, and the reality is there, those things will not exist anymore. I think you get the idea that when I say things like money and popularity and all those things that won't exist anymore, that's what a lot of people have their hope in. And it's scary to think it won't exist. And my prayer is that this gives us greater compassion for those who don't know Jesus yet, for those that have their hope in other things. I hope it encourages us to follow the example of Jesus and how we invite people without condemnation and when we do that, we can trust that the Holy Spirit is working through our compassion and our grace. Man, people don't need another reason or another person who's rejecting them or putting them down. What they need is an invitation to see Jesus, an invitation into something more powerful than whatever addiction is holding them down. Amen? So that's my prayer for us today that one, we'd be devoted to prayer, thankfulness, being watchful over how we respond to people, being thankful with how the Holy Spirit is working and moving and how he can be more powerful than any struggle people are in. And that we would be full of grace, reminding ourselves to exemplify Jesus, especially, I say this in Kids Church all the time, especially when it's hard. I shared that story about my kids because they're learning that a moment of being ornery with their siblings isn't worth it. Because in that moment, they thought their sibling deserved their unkindness. Oh, but if we, if we can become more full of grace, then we can know 
that God can help us in those moments when we are tempted to be judgmental or dismissive or unloving or rejecting because only the Holy Spirit can do that in us sometimes, right? It's true that we, my prayer is that we would be able to follow the example of Jesus and invite people into relationship. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me and we'll pray together. Jesus, we thank you for the time we get to spend together here. God, we thank you for your word that it's so full, God, of example after example of how you've loved and cared for people, about how uh, even the people of the Bible, God, don't always get it right, God, but they have a heart for you. And I pray that that would encourage us, God, that even when we mess up, God, that we can turn our heart toward you and you will help us walk with confidence being that example toward other people. God, I pray we'd be a people that invite, encourage people into something different, that we would be the people you've called us to be, seeking and saving the lost. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for this time. And all God's children said, amen. I have a little benediction that we would go from here with compassion for the lost, turning our heart toward Jesus, seeking and saving the lost, and happy May Day. Did you know it's May Day? Yeah? Go put some flowers on someone's doorstep. Ring the doorbell. Run away. <laughs> Have a great week.